Hello, my name is Sue Ditta, and this is the Electric City Culture Cast. Every other week, the Electric City Culture Cast takes you inside Peterborough's arts, culture, and heritage scene, simply one of the most vibrant anywhere in the province. Our magazine format features interviews with rising stars and emerging artists. We take you behind the scenes at a wide range of arts and culture organizations in the downtown community and on the Trent campus. We delve into the issues that people are talking about, bring you up to date on the latest news, reviews and happenings, and provide you with information and advice on what to see and how to advance your own arts practice. We broadcast every other week on Trent Radio and all of our shows will be available as podcasts. Okay. My name is Sue Ditta, and this is the Electric City Culture Cast. I'm welcoming into the studio today two wild and crazy kids on the art scene in Peterborough, John Kleimanhag and Sarah Jabot, two absolutely outstanding visual artists, very, very different in their practice, very different in um, what they do and how they do it. And We've brought them to the studio today to talk about what it means to be an artist in Peterborough, a little bit about the history of their practice, where it started, where it is today, and it's all part of a series that we're doing called I Am an Artist. Um, I hope that you've seen their work, and if you haven't, I'm going to put them both on the spot right now and say, John... If I get excited about your work after listening to this radio show, how could I see it? Uh, you could go online and see it. Go online. You could come do you have, to my studio. Do you have a website? You could go to Metaphor Gallery. There's a couple there. Okay. And I have a website. So Instagram. Instagram account totally hip, yeah. under your name. He, yeah. He's a social media guy. I mean, yeah. even though he has a gray beard, he's there. Yeah, you can't tell Kids. that on the radio. You can't but tell I'm very that. Very old. He's he's actually really really old. Really, really tall, really, really expansive. And Sarah is not as old. Not even close. Not even close. And uh, according to John, looks a little bit like um, Audrey Hepburn, which has absolutely nothing to do with her practice or the purpose of our, our show today. These two have had me giggling already for the last 10 minutes. So we're going to try and settle down and say something about art. But I did want, um, because we're on audio medium here on radio, I wanted off the top for people to know how to see some of this work. John, um, Metaphor Gallery, some people won't know where that is. It's at the corner of Hunter and um, George Street. Uh, open most days and Fridays always during First Fridays. And your studio, what kind of thing happens? Do you have an open house? Do you have regular hours? I think people love the idea of going to an artist studio. Well, they should contact me and, and set up an appointment. Okay, so it's by appointment. Yes. And they can do that through your website? Mm-hmm. Okay, great. And Sarah, how about you? If we wanted to get a sense of your work, a visual sense. As a descriptive or where we could... Where about somebody could see it? <clears throat> you can find my work at the gift shop at their Gallery of Peterborough. Aha. Uh-huh. Uh, online... Uh, I have an Instagram account. It's is it or done. Mostly just day-to-day life postings. Very little of my own art practice shows up on that site, but it'll give a sense of who I am as an artist and my daily exposure and influences. Mm, there's a gallery in Toronto and Yorkville that carries my work called Art Interiors. They can be found online. You can also purchase my work online through that website. 
I'm trying to think. I've been showing locally, rurally, uh, solo shows at artist-run centers. And nothing planned in the immediate, but hoping to okay. show soon. So there's several different ways um, digitally, virtually, for people to get a sense of your work, as well as coming by appointment to your studio. Oh, absolutely. That, that you can always me. contact me. What does it remind you of, John? I have a show coming up. You do. Yeah, in April, in London. There you go. At, at Jonathan Bancroft Snell hey. Galleries. Yeah. Fantastic. Hey. Is that the ceramics place you were talking yeah. about? Okay. Oh. There. Jonathan Bancroft yeah. Galleries in London. So um, I'm going to start with John, if that's okay. John, I, th I think of you in part as a landscape painter, but not exclusively. Your work is big, it's bold, it's expansive. When did you start painting? Um, I started seriously painting when I was about 15 or 16, I guess. Mm -hmm. In the context of school or just on your own? Well, on my own and... and that was the only class I really liked at school. Mm -hmm. art. So from a very early age. Yeah, and I was drawing when I was, uh, you know, four or five, six. Mm -hmm. Weird things like uh, amethyst crystals <laughs> mm -hmm. and birds and fish. And those were my... I cool. actually wanted to own a zoo, so I was constantly designing zoos. <laughs> That's amazing. Yeah. And then you did go on to art school, didn't you? No. Oh, I thought you studied with a really interesting painter from Montreal. Well, that, no, I studied in Victoria much later. I okay. was like 24, and I ran into uh, Jim Gordonier. Mm -hmm. And so I spent five years uh, being mentored by Jim, uh, working with him. That was pretty exceptional. But I, so I don't count it as school. Fair. It wasn't something I, Fair enough. I uh, had to pay for. Uh, and I got way more out of it than most of the people I know who went to school. Who actually went to school. Yeah. So what were you doing in Victoria? Just living. Mm -hmm. Yeah, my wife and I moved out there from Kingston in 90, 91, 92, maybe 92. And then I was with Jim and another group of painters that sort of loosely called ourselves the, the Chapman Group. Mm -hmm. And we worked together for, uh, I think, until 99. And then I moved back here with our first kid. And Were you both from here? Uh, well, no. No? No. We were from Kingston okay. in that area. And then we moved here because the housing was cheap. Mm -hmm. uh, so we got a, a little house on Rubich Street back in 2001. And then moved again uh, 10 years ago now. Mm-hmm. So I had... Uh, so you moved to a different house, but in Peterborough. Yeah. So I had a, a little gallery downtown here for a while. Uh, Five-pin gallery was on Hunter Street, near where Karma's is now. Mm -hmm. it was sort of a couple of doors over mm. from the old night kitchen spot. Um, and then I built a studio eight years ago. And then I work, work in there, and I teach classes in there. So Peterborough seemed like a feasible place to make a living and a life as an artist, and that, that it might be doable from here. It, yeah, the, the housing was cheap, mm -hmm. so uh, it made sense to, to get a house here. Okay, great. And it was a nice city. We're so lucky nice. that you're here. Well, the, the interview's not over yet. Okay. Be ready, beware. Sarah, how about you? How did you come to be in Peterborough? 
Um, my folks moved here when I was about nine. Oh, pardon me. My folks moved here when I was about nine years old. Uh, studied at PCVS in the Integrated Arts Program and left to go out east to study at the Nova Scotia College of Art and Design. I stayed there for 10 some years, even after my education had finished up and just practiced as an artist, being by the ocean, having lived in Vancouver uh, previous to moving to Peterborough with my family was important to me. Um, I never felt like, well, I never found it feasible to paint and I still don't to be an artist and not have a second income it's very hard to make money off your art <laughs> and I think all artists know that you mm -hmm. need you need a second income you need a job a job those those jobs that give you those uh paychecks every and rent once in a payments while. <laughs> and yeah. food yeah yeah unless you're lucky enough to you know have patrons later in life um, patrons are great we love you so tell me in 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 Halifax and Nova Scotia it was easier to get a job uh, I served tables there. Mm -hmm. There were more serving opportunities, for okay. sure. It's a bigger city. When you have a bigger city, it equals more opportunity. Okay. It also equals higher rent often. So you're working a lot more, and you don't have a lot of time for social or family life. Mm. That being said, as an artist, that's something that you know you're sacrificing going into the profession. Did you have a studio in Halifax? I worked from home. You worked from home? Okay. Yeah. I had a two-bedroom, which worked out well, so I could have a studio space. And were you involved in the local arts community in Halifax? Yeah, very much so. I mean, it's hard not to be. As an artist, you need to be around your peer group, and you're constantly encouraging each other. And when that's not there, it's very hard to function, especially when you're in a studio on your own all day. You're constantly questioning what you're doing, and if you don't have some sort of validation from your peers, it it becomes quite depressing. <laughs> so, so you have people who know what you're going through, who you can talk to about your work, the content. Mm, absolutely. That reduces the isolation and absolutely. the feeling of like wanting to put yourself through the window. Yeah, well, mm -hmm. I feel like as an artist, you're a bit of an anomaly to begin with. Mm -hmm. It's... Uh, it's not the most pragmatic pragmatic of careers, and it's not a career. It's, it's, it's a vocation. It's a, well, I don't even know if that's what it is. It's just not even a choice. Well, it's a, that's a vocation. That's what a voc That's sort Sorry. of what we mean. Thank yeah. you. It comes from deep within your spirit. All right. It's unavoidable. And on our next, on our next, on our next show, these two will debate vocation versus career. I thought you said vacation. Ah, oh. only. No. John, I just want to come back a bit to the Chapman that's group. Bad. And what your work was about, what the style was like, what the content was like, what was that group about, and, and how has your work changed? That's quite a long time ago now. Um, yeah, when, when I joined with them, we were looking at um, different types of geometry to, uh, mm -hmm. in an attempt to reintroduce space in painting. Mm -hmm. So uh, we, they, they determined that... Uh, Perspective had been uh, broken up and flattened out completely by the mid-60s. Mm -hmm. So, um, and then painting from there really didn't do much with space. Uh, I guess subjects changed or lack of subject. And but that, like that playing with notions but, of space and its relationship yeah. to time. So and realizing that mm -hmm. space is actually a very important part of painting. Mm -hmm. How do you reintroduce a space without falling back to 
a traditional Euclidean geometry and a sort of perspective, right? And sort of the old academic notions of perspective. So yeah. you're pushing the limits on, on that. Uh, that yes. So mm -hmm. we, we were working with a Riemannian topology. Which so is? It was, uh, Riemann was a German mathematician who developed this idea of a two-dimensional torus, mm -hmm. they called it, which is a, a two-dimensional continuum that looks like a donut, basically. And so we were cutting up this torus shape and uh, having these curved spaces that had big concavities and convexities and trying to lay the figures onto this space. So you design mm -hmm. the space first and then apply figuration to that space. Mm -hmm. And that's quite a while ago now. Yeah, that's, that's back to 90, 99. So I've been continuing with those experiments, trying mm -hmm. to figure out how to use what I learned, but mm -hmm. in a way that isn't illustrative of a space. Mm -hmm. So, and I, I don't know, talking about painting is like, you know, singing about dance, I guess. Yeah. I, there are experiments I'm continuing that, that are trying to uh, articulate a different approach to a foreground background and trying to avoid that dichotomy while still having space. Okay. So I'm going to get you to hold that thought and come back in a little bit because I talk about subject matter too, but I want to ask Sarah because in some ways your work for me is completely different. It's smaller, it's refined, it it makes us look from the, the micro to the macro, um, and you work in different mediums. For people who don't know your work, can you describe a little bit about what your preoccupations are? What, what are you trying to do in your work? And do you see a trajectory, say, over the last five years? It's mostly a focus on hor uh, horticulture. Um, yeah, the micro, the idea of the breaking up of parts and focusing on elements of organics. Uh, in nature, mm -hmm. but also in gardens and thinking about landscape, architecture, how we function within our spaces, architecture within the spaces of the garden, but also manicuring those shapes and completely abstracting them. Mm -hmm. And they're coming in, they're coming in the form of paintings and drawings and also deconstructing those paintings and drawings and isolating those shapes. Because your work also doesn't come necessarily within a, a square frame at all. No. They have their own organic shapes, often your art yeah, objects. they take their own forms. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. The terrain, like the, the terrain, um, thinking of almost, well, I work from textile work, so it's like the adding of things to, f to form a form, but also referencing um, horticultural plants. So what kind of textiles do you work with? Um, embroidery and rug cooking mm -hmm. for the most part. Mm -hmm. And you give them this incredible painterly quality. I, I mean, I don't think Thank I've you. ever seen anything quite like it, actually. Thank and there's a richness in the colors. Yeah, she has great colors. She has great colors. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, and I also remember some beautiful drawings. I think the earliest work I ever saw of yours were drawings of um, fishermen's huts. Oh, yeah, definitely geography and um, 
Well, geography and sense of place comes into my work a great deal, and ideas ideas of the vernacular and structures and the permanence in those. So I did a series of drawings of huts along the East Coast, and that was a big exhibition. That was at the AGP? Yeah. Mm -hmm. So um, are you working in a studio right now? Are you working out of your home? I'm working in my home studio. Mm -hmm. I'm still continuing to deconstruct paintings with my scissors Mm -hmm. (laughs) and a lot of reassembling going on and relationships between shapes, uh, pairings, and how shapes can also hold character and expression, which is coming into play, and how they interact. And are you working on a specific exhibition right now? Not currently, just for self. Okay. Yeah. So you're building a body of work while you experiment? Yes. Yes. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Do you know anybody who just works for shows? No, you shouldn't. No, that's right. You should always have, you should always be ready to have a show. As an artist, you should always have enough work to have a show. So, John... I think of a a long series of landscape paintings that you did, beautiful landscape paintings. More recently, the hockey player work, which is not like, like, please, people do not think Ken Danby when we think about (laughs) hockey players' work, but your ability to create movement, to create flow, to capture that energy and excitement in the in the painting is so profound and I think way beyond sort of for me it blows the cliches of hockey playing out of the water that's what's so exciting about this current work can you talk why you started doing that work and how it relates to your your uh, space and I I guess um, as a kid again uh, I was pretty obsessed with hockey, uh, Montreal Canadiens in particular. I fortunately uh, came of age uh, as they were winning four cups in a row, so it was pretty easy to be a fan. Uh, Also, they were the best, and they were heroic Mm -hmm. in in the mind of an 8- to 12-year-old, you know. Um, So, and I played hockey and street hockey, and that was kind of what we did as kids, and there was all the playing cards and all that stuff. so that just kind of sat back in the in my existence and then as i was painting landscapes and doing things like that and trying to think of subjects for paintings that would uh, incorporate a space that people know well Mm -hmm. um, i thought oh yeah a rink it's kind of a ubiquitous space in canada uh, so it's a fixture, cultural yeah, fixture. And we, we all have a pretty good idea of how much space is involved in a rink, and I guess there are, you know, kind of uh, parallels with like a you know a bull fighting ring or some kind of thing like that. Nothing, not like I'm uh, trying to make it more heroic than it is, but not that bullfighting is particularly heroic. I guess it's. Anyway, but, but, there was but the big heroic gestures, the large sweep, <clears throat> the power play in the biggest sense of the word. Yeah, yeah and, and it, the historicity of a space like that, mm-hmm. I guess, is where I think of a, a bullfighting ring, because there was a precedent mm-hmm. for painting uh, in bullfighting rings. Yeah, like Picasso. Yeah, and Maurice, <laughs> and Lots a whole of, bunch of people, yeah. yeah. So it, I just thought of it as a space that I could use to... Uh, play with people's ideas of and expectations of space. So you end up with uh, a group of figures 
where they are actually in the process of expanding and contracting space. The viewers are expanding and contracting what they're looking at. Mm -hmm. So it, it became really, it's, it's a very fluid event. And I was curious about how do you depict an event? Mm -hmm. Hence, and how long, how long have you been working on that? I think the first sketches I did were in 2013. Okay. Even before that, I had done paintings in hockey arenas around mm -hmm. here because my son was playing hockey. So mm -hmm. I spent a lot of time in rinks and was thinking, oh, these are actually kind of interesting architecturally. And the idea of how much energy people are putting into bringing their kids out every Oh, Saturday, yeah. You know, time, Saturday. energy, money. Yeah. Expectations. Yep, emotions. Yep. Yeah. And um, do you have a private dealer? Commercial no, dealer? No, I want one. You want one. If there's any listening right now, I want a dealer. And that is the biggest problem. I'm reading this biography of Brock. We have three minutes? No, no, seven. We're good. Oh, we're good. Okay. Uh, and he is talking, and Picasso, all these guys, mm -hmm. they had dealers, right? Who, of course. Like drug dealers, you mm -hmm. buy the product. They don't front you the product. Mm -hmm. right? You yeah. buy the paintings at an agreed-upon price, and then you mark them up. Mm -hmm. That doesn't exist anymore. It's a world of curators, right? mm -hmm. and they don't pay. Minimal, minimal artist fees. Yeah. Of sadness. Yeah. Thanks for my two hundred dollar check, people. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Right? Okay, let's 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 talk about this a little bit more. So, I mean, I'm not sure how if all our listeners understand anything about the about the art scene and the art world in the same way we do. So. In Peterborough, we have Art Space, which is an artist-run center. So the idea behind artist-run centers is they're driven by artists for artists. They're seriously committed to paying artist fees. There's actually a legal schedule that they have to pay. Is that wrong, Sarah? No, it's true. It's just very, very minimum. Yeah, it's very, it's, that's what I'm going to say, but it's very, very minimal. Then you have public art galleries and... Um, that means that they are um, usually a big bricks-and-mortar investment. Um, they, they own collections. Artist-run centers don't buy work for their collections. They follow the same pretty minimal fee schedule as artist-run centers do. And having been part of the huge fight to get public art galleries in particular to pay artist fees, um, it, it's been a real uphill battle and, and ended up in a, in a court case that was only recently settled. And there's still more to do in terms of copyright and reproductive, I always think it, reproduction like rights. Reproductive. Always makes me laugh. <laughs> For yeah. painters. I sold no. those years ago. That's right. So um, how can an artist make a living? How do you do it? You don't. You don't. Oh, sorry. Sarah's saying yeah. you don't. You can't. I mean, you you can't rely on a, no. an artist's income. You can't. You need a second source. So that's another or, job or a, or a partner yeah, or, or a, a patron. Partner or a patron mm -hmm. Because our public is not educated enough in the arts and do not see the value in it. Yeah, that's that's institutionally. Yeah, that's that's a, there's a root of a problem, that, right? That's a lar great larger problem, but there's yeah, I, I, like I am lucky. I don't have to have an outside job. I teach mm -hmm. at my studio, so I'm very fortunate that way. So you can you make some money by teaching students, yeah. yeah. And then the rest of it is really just hoping people will buy paintings. So it's the worst kind of fishing expedition ever. You shouldn't be making art because you think you're going to sell it. And that's why we well, need people no, like deal not, that's why the yeah, dealer is like a perfect situation. I'm not making it because no, I of course think not. I'm going to sell it. No, of I'm course making not. it cuz uh, goddamn it that's what I do. That's yeah. what you do. So, 
And there's dealers and there's dealers. So there are some very well-respected commercial dealers who treat artists really well. They're um, in Toronto. Well, Nicolas Metevier, I would I'd say, is, is a fair-minded one. And there's lots who are not. I mean, I certainly worked with Liz Burke, and David Burke had a great dealer. But, man, I couldn't believe sort of when it came down to the nitty-gritty how many paintings had been sold, but they still hadn't seen the money because mm. dealers will make deals with um, collectors. Well, yes, you're buying the painting and you're going to pay like $1,000 a year for the next five years, which, you know, is not so great for the artist. And then you take the 50% that they take and then the framing. And if there was a catalog, what was the deal on the catalog? It's it's really complicated. And um, I don't know if you've been following the papers, but there's been a huge scandal recently about a Toronto dealer who... Um, did sell paintings, and the money seemed to disappear into thin air. That happened? Was that the guy uh, down in Port Hope, right? Mm-hmm. What? Yeah, mm-hmm. I took mm. paintings back engine, engine, I got lucky and I'm didn't not gonna say get burned. Yep. I won't say yeah, names. I got, that was the one. So oh, yeah. one issue is educating the public about the value of art. One issue is it can be tougher in a city like Peterborough where we just don't have as many people with money in their pockets mm-hmm. to spend on art. Sometimes I think we've done a disservice by the different auctions um, that goes on because people who do have money have gotten really used to getting great work cheap. Um, And artists do it because they want to support the institution. They want to support, you know, they hope they're contributing to some kind of enthusiasm about art. Um, We've tried to defeat the idea. I do it constantly. You have no idea how many calls I get from people who want me to recommend artists and they're going to put their work up somewhere because the exposure will help. (laughs) And we really have to, you know, make the end of that argument. They're doing us a favor, right? They always think that. You get better exposure running around the street with no pants on. That's right. (laughs) Directing people to your website. Tune in after the show. That's not a very big point. Sarah, how about, so you did tell us a little bit at the beginning about um, you, you do have a dealer. Um, wh- I what's don't your have a dealer. I have a, I have a gallery that holds. I'm, I have a representing gallery. Okay. In, yeah. And I have three of those. So how do you make that distinction? <laughs> Dealers question. buy. De- okay, right. Thank you. So the gallery will ho- hold my work. They will frame my work, and they will take fifty to sixty percent of the sale. Mm-hmm. Whereas a dealer will buy your work, and then they worry about selling it. Yeah. 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 And there aren't very many dealers around anymore. No. No. Well, there's no need. Maybe in Europe or the States. There's no need mm-hmm. because the model has shifted to, mm-hmm. to, com- to commercial commission. gallery commission. Mm-hmm. Okay. And tell me a little bit about working with curators. What's the upside? What's the downside? I think it's great to work Is for there a curator. Mm. It depends on how how well respected the, how much you respect the curator and what they're going to do for your work. Are you going to grow from this from this experience? Yeah. I've had times where I've worked with curators side by side throughout the whole process of creating a show for exhibition, mm-hmm. and it's been a great experience. Mm-hmm. And they've been able to write about my work. That seems to having been amazing. a curator is mostly what artists really value. Yeah. If someone's writing about your work, you're able to read about it, and you're getting it from a different perspective. And you can see things that you didn't see there before, and your mm-hmm. work will continue to grow. And the more ex- the more experiences you have like that, the stronger your work's going to get. Mm-hmm. So, so working with could, a good curator yeah. can really yeah. make a difference. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And you've had that experience as well, John? Yeah. Yeah. 
I also think that if you get a good curator and there's good writing, that can help you with grant applications. Yeah. Yeah, Definitely. forms. Any of you successful with the granting agencies? Exhibition assistants. Did that come through ArtSpace? Uh, I've done it through ArtSpace, and I've also gone through the Art Gallery of Peterborough. It's kind of one of those. Okay. Have you applied for grants to individual artists? Oh, yes, yeah. absolutely. And haven't had luck yet? No, it, they, okay. don't, they don't really. Rural is not, they say, I just don't. It's always going to bigger centers. Which well, is strange because they say, they, say they say they're, they're not, yeah. but you can see the results after you put in your. Yeah, so I think we, we, we should we should we should do a show on that, and I think we're going to do a workshop on on doing those grant applications because regional regional is one of the lenses that the OAC is supposedly looking through, and they're really starting to do something about that. They didn't do much about it lately. But the results, lots of people in Peterborough have got grants from the Ontario Arts Council, mm -hmm. but grant writing is, has become such an art, yeah. you know. Um, and it's, sorry, I don't mean to but it's also how many painters are applying for this grant. If there's like two people applying for a textile grant and there's like a hundred applying for a painting grant in visual arts. It's tough it's competition. Thing, right? Yeah, yeah. It's a, yeah. We only have a couple more minutes, so... Um, what was the moment when you knew that you were going to be an artist all your life? Sarah, was there a moment or did it just sort of creep up on you? It just happened and it, it, it's something that comes and goes and there's been years where I've taken time off my practice. It hasn't been consistent. I've always made things, but it hasn't been studious. Mm -hmm. um, there's been times where I've had to step back and question what I was doing and those are great moments of growth, too, and that changes your practice for the future and also traveling. But I think I've always been interested in creating things, even as a kid, so it wasn't really a ch choice. It kind of, I waver. It always drifts in and out of my life. Interesting. But yeah. Okay. Mm -hmm. Sarah Jabot, artist. We're just so glad that you're oh, here I'm in Peterborough. Thank you so much. Making work. Thank you. And people, get out and buy Sarah Jabot's work. Yes. And John Kleiman Hag, okay, too. And <laughs> John, I'm going to ask you the same question. Was there one moment, or was it always there, that you would spend your life as an artist? Uh, probably always there, but I remember being very young and drawing and thinking, mm -hmm. oh, I love this, and just keep, I just kept doing it. So, yeah, I mm -hmm. don't think there was anything. And there, like I've been working full-time, nonstop, for a quarter of a century. Century, yeah. making work. So people, remember, art comes from artists. It doesn't come from anywhere else. All the rest of us are parasites on the back of the artist. So oh. get out. Oh, stop. Save that's your hard. money. That's exactly the, that's yeah. what we wanted to say oh, today. God, mm -hmm. Oh, man, they're really, really going to buy our work now. Yeah, you're dead, you bastards. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> it's really <laughs> important for people oh, to remember that. We will die one day. Desperate. The artists are desperate, desperately horrible human beings. Live very precarious lives. a in front of civilization. That's right. You're the canary in the I in the cage. I've heard every color. single metaphor that there is. Uh, save your pennies, people. Get out there and buy some work. And um, if you get a chance, don't miss any opportunity to see work by John Kleimanhag or Sarah Jabot. Thank you both for coming into the studio today to be part of the Electric City Culture Cast here on Trent Radio. You can uh, watch for a podcast of this uh, stunning interview. Um, on the Electric City Culture Council website. And I want to thank Mauricio for being our program producer, technician, 
and just general fabulous support person. Take care, guys.